The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Modi has to contend with two chambers of parliament, 29 state governments and a fiercely independent judiciary that thinks nothing of tossing out key government decisions, such as who do cell phone licenses get awarded to? So, Dan, are you saying that there's maybe too much democracy in India? This episode is brought to you by Nadex, the binary options exchange. Binary options let you limit your risk and trade stock indices, commodities, forex, and more from a single account. Nadex is a CFTC-regulated exchange with transparency, free market data, and fairness guaranteed. The future of trading is here now at nadex.com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. Hi, and welcome back to Bloomberg Benchmark, a podcast about the global economy. It's Thursday, February 25. I'm Daniel Moss, Executive Editor for Global Economics in New York. I'm joined by my co-host, Aki Ito, the Acting Tokyo Bureau Chief. Aki, good evening. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm pretty good, thanks. You know, we were thinking it's about time we took Benchmark on the road again and talked about, about India. It's often compared with China as a rising economic and political power, yet probably receives a fraction of the column inches or airtime that China gets. And when it does attract attention, it's often in the context of natural or man-made disasters. And yet, there's a compelling economic story to be told. Aki, you probably know India has a ton of people. It actually has almost 1.3 billion. And by the end of 2022 which is not that far away. According to the UN, it will have more people than China. It was also the fastest growing major economy in the world last year, clocking in at 7.3%. That easily beat China's 6.8% and was streets ahead of, say, the US, which grew at about 2%. India is also a major manufacturing centre for the auto industry, for engineering equipment, for electronic components, it has a huge software industry and a vibrant services sector, exporting, among other things, Bollywood. So I guess there's a lot of potential here, but also some disappointment. So about two years ago, I think, uh, Prime Minister Modi was elected on a platform of economic opening and reform. His BJP party scored one of the biggest wins ever, and it was a pretty exciting moment. But his administration has come under a lot of fire for really not moving fast enough on these reforms. The federal budget, which is scheduled for release next week, offers the chance of a reset, a chance to align policy priorities with the vision that was sold for a more productive, a more dynamic, uh, business-friendly India. It's not an easy place to govern. Let's go back in time for a moment. The election of the Modi government was a very big deal. A whole series of front-page stories in big American papers. This sense that 
the rest of India would become like Gujarat. That's the state north of Mumbai that Modi ran as chief minister. A chief minister is kind of like a governor in the US. India would be open for business. The shackles would be freed. Well, not so fast. Unlike China, Modi has to contend with two chambers of parliament, 29 state governments and a fiercely independent judiciary that thinks nothing of tossing out key government decisions, such as who do cell phone licenses get awarded to. So, Dan, are you saying that there's maybe too much democracy in India? I would never want to say there's too much democracy anywhere, but there are some things holding the country back. Joining us from our bureau in New Delhi is Uni Krishnan, who covers economics and government in India. Uni, hi. Uh, hi, Dan. Hi, Aki. Hey, Uni. Welcome to the show. I've heard that you've met Prime Minister Modi uh, and that you've reported on his administration since its beginning in 2014. So, you know, from what you see over there, has he failed relative to the expectations that were placed on him? What do you think? It's been, a, it's been a mixed record. I mean, it's Prime Minister Modi has had a few hits and some misses. Um, I mean, if you look at the uh, global economic map, where else in the world will you find an economy that's expanding over 7% and inflation that's moderating in a currency that's been largely stable apart from India? It's now the fastest growing economy in the world, even though relatively its size is smaller compared to the United States or even China. But that's the good part. Now, the not-so-good part so far has been that Prime Minister Modi has had limited success in scrapping wasteful expenditure, something he promised when he got that historic mandate in elections in 2014. He also promised of um, cutting back subsidies. These were like the large reforms that were supposed to reset the economy and put it on a, on a faster growth path. He also promised uh, scrapping leaky food distribution system. Now, uh, remember, all these are very unpopular decisions, and traditionally in India, governments can manage to do these things in their uh, first few years in office, and that's what was what was expected from Prime Minister Modi because he, he had won the election on the development card. Now, a lot of it hasn't happened. There have been some incremental steps, but it's been a very slow movement. There's been, there was a promise of a nationwide sales tax. That's been stuck in Parliament for over a year now. So that, those are the areas where he's underwhelmed. A lot of disruptive steps were expected. But what we've been witnessing over the past two years is actually incremental change. Uni, let's rewind the tape for two years. How did expectations get so high? And do they matter anyway? Is there a chance that when his term ends, people will look back and say, some of these steps were nothing short of revolutionary. They just took a while to happen. And, you know, watching the lamb sausage being made can be pretty painful, but ultimately it's the results you want to taste. And then that's partly to what you said, you know. The steps that Modi has been taking, uh, he's putting a lot of money in uh, building a highway network, he's upgrading airports, he's improving ports, basically putting a lot of money into infrastructure, creating capacity so that there's easier movement of people and goods, which is necessity for any modern, fast-growing economy. He's also galvanized bureaucracy, he's empowered state governments, and he's also generated a lot of money from telecom auctions and auctioning mining assets. Now, these are all steps which don't 
immediately yield results. Um, uh, you know, the consumer uh, uh, is going through a pain, uh, but these are building blocks which will sustain high levels of growth in the coming years. So like I said earlier, it's like incremental steps. There's no big bang happening here, but maybe um, five to seven years down the line. These measures that Prime Minister Modi is taking today will lead to a sustained high growth. So that's the situation on ground. So, Uni, how is this played out economically? Could you give us some numbers here? Yeah, uh, so you have about um, growth, which is about 7%. Uh, the outlook for the next year is also uh, the growth would be anywhere between 7 to 8%. A lot actually depends on, uh, you know, the global external environment. So far, uh, even though there's been a tremendous pain in the global economy, for India, it's actually worked to its advantage because India is a big energy-importing country, and lower oil prices mean uh, that, you know, you, you, you spend less on oil and the input costs for, for the manufacturing sector goes down. So in that sense... The growth outlook is quite positive in terms of 7% plus growth. Uh, inflation has been hovering around about 5%. Going forward, Governor Rajan, um, Reserve Bank of India Governor, Central Bank Governor, expects that it would be anywhere between about uh, 5 and, and 6%. That's pretty manageable for a developing economy like India, which is growing pretty fast. And current account deficit, that's another major uh, worry for India because of the amount of imports that the economy takes in. That's also been under control. And lastly, government spending in terms of fiscal deficit, you know, the, which, which decides the ability for the government to borrow and also impacts borrowing rates for the private sector. Uh, the fiscal deficit also has been under control and the government has been keeping a fairly tight cap on how it spends the money. So, so far it's been uh, the metrics in terms of actual numbers, all the macroeconomic indicators, are suggesting that growth will be sustained and inflation will be under control. So now we're up to speed on the current scene in India. We'll come back and talk about what's getting in the way of India's continued economic rise. A peaceful one, even, as one of its neighbours would say. First, a word from our sponsor. What do traders want? To limit risk, access every opportunity and trade on a level playing field. Nadex Binary Options lets you set your maximum profit and loss before the trade, so your risk is always limited. Find opportunities in multiple markets, stock indices, commodities, forex, even economic numbers, and Bitcoin, all from one account and platform. Nadex is a CSTC-regulated exchange with transparency, free market data, and fairness guaranteed. Innovations the financial industry needs, and Nadex already has. That's why we think binary options are the future of trading. And it's here now at nadex.com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. The biggest brand created in India. That's what Prime Minister Modi has called his campaign to make India the next global manufacturing hub. Billboards from Germany to California implore, make in India. Uni, how's that campaign going? So simply put, it's a campaign called Make in India, wherein uh, what Prime Minister Modi is trying to do is to create a robust manufacturing sector so that there are enough jobs for the youth. Remember, India has got a huge demographic dividend with nearly half of its population below the age of 25, a million workers joining the workforce every month. 
So um, attracting factory jobs is key to Prime Minister Modi's growth plans. He's uh, pushing uh, to boost the share of manufacturing in the economy to a quarter. It's about 18% now, and uh, he plans to put about 100 million people to work in brand new factories by 2022. So he's been going around uh, uh, asking global investors to set up factories, especially in focus areas like automobiles, pharmaceuticals, engineering products, electronics, and uh, defense manufacturing. India is one of the biggest importers of defense equipment, um, given its issues with the neighbors, uh, namely Pakistan and China. So Prime Minister Modi has been trying to boost the manufacturing sector, and so it's about like uh, a quarter of the economy from manufacturing in 2022 and create jobs for 100 million people by in another seven years. So, Uni, I'm wondering, what do the successes of this campaign and maybe the shortcomings of this campaign, too, say about Prime Minister Modi's India? Aki, it's a, it's a mixed report card. You know, it, it isn't still a very easy place to open an enterprise and run a business, but things are improving. Ever since Prime Minister Modi took power in 2014, he's made it a improved the India's ranking in the World Bank, it's jumped four places in the last report that had come out. It's about at 130th position. That isn't very impressive for, for a country that wants to attract uh, a lot of investment and to sort of become the global manufacturing hub. But things are improving. It's not happening fast enough. The government has a role in, in most facets of business. Things do get very bureaucratic, uh, especially with business. There's a lot of paperwork to deal with while opening a business. But Prime Minister Modi has done some uh, sort of self-certification. You need less of paperwork. If there were five forms needed, so now he's consolidated into one uh, form. So he's, he's putting the building blocks. Uh, investment growth overall remains subdued. But the sentiment in terms of India as a difficult place to do business um, is improving uh, in terms um, of the fact that uh, foreign direct investment has increased about 27% since uh, May 2014 when Prime Minister Modi uh, came to power. And all this at a time when global demand was slowing. So things are improving, people are getting attracted, but uh, he needs to possibly step on the gas in terms of make it an easier place to do business. And Uni, what are some of the institutional factors, some of the demographic factors that a single person in the term of a single government, let alone the halfway point in the first term, that anyone would struggle to address. Strength of unions, this robust sense of ownership that state governments have over their own affairs. Talk a little about that. Like you said in your opening remarks, you know, it is a difficult place to govern. It's a noisy democracy. It's got a federal structure and it's got a state structure. There are a lot of things that are an exclusive domain of the state governments where, um, where you know, the, the federal government doesn't have much of a role. For example, you know, if you're a foreign investor, you come here and you say that you want to set up this billion-dollar car plant. Now, Prime Minister Modi can direct you to a set of states where which you would be interested or you can or the foreign investor can uh, decide but beyond that getting um, you know water connection getting land getting um, all other clearances the investor has to go through the state government now it depends on how open is that state government in terms of accepting some of the demands so that's where the problem you know prime minister modi can be 
pretty open to business, can uh, you know welcome global investors. But beyond point, it is in the domain of the state government to make it an easier place to do business uh, for the for the global investor. So ultimately, the car maker has to rely on compassionate state government to help sort out things. Prime Minister Modi can intervene, but unlike while he was the chief minister in Gujarat, where things were much more in his control, as a prime minister, there are certain handicaps that he has to deal with. But having said that, things are improving because, you know, states are now competing for investments. Prime Minister Modi is a shining example of being a successful chief minister who's made a career at the national level because he could exhibit that, you know, growth leads to growth necessarily is not, doesn't make you unpopular. Uh, if you give growth to people, if they have higher disposable income, there's a greater chance of them voting you back in power. So the days of handouts and subsidies are over. Various chief ministers are realizing that if you govern your state well, if you attract foreign investors, people are bound to vote you back. They're not no longer looking for handouts. They're looking for a better life for their children, a higher disposable income. So, and, and I guess this brings us to the budget, which I heard is presented next week. When Dan originally told me that he wanted to talk about India's budget, I, <laughs> I groaned a little bit, you know, because the budget, it sounds like such a pedestrian thing, but tell us how big of a deal is this budget in India and, and why is it such a big deal? Unlike other countries, you know, the budget is a flagship event in India's economic policy making calendar. It is not just an account statement where the government comes and says that this is how much they earned last year and this is how much they spent. Here it's more, you know, a chance for the government to present its economic vision for the for the coming year. It's also used as a launch pad for government programs, sometimes to initiate structural reforms, and in some cases uh, announce populist measures, especially ahead of elections. Remember, uh, in 1991, when you when India embraced free market reforms, it started with the with the budget announcement. So uh, historically, the budget has been used by prime ministers slash political parties slash uh, leaders to showcase their best programs. So in that sense, that's the reason why it is sort of a big deal in India. There's a lot of pomp and ceremony surrounding the budget in Australia as well. I guess this must be a British legacy for both countries. Yeah, exactly. And does the finance minister come out of the Treasury building with a red suitcase and get into the car and drive to Parliament amidst the flashing of cameras? Yeah, the same thing happens here as well, Dan. For all this and for all the issues that we've raised in this podcast, the country must be doing something right. After all, yeah. growth was the highest in the G20 last year. Of course. I mean, there are a lot of things that the government has done, um, and there are three parts to this. You know, The first one has been the you know, dogged approach of both the government and the central bank to curb inflation and resist the temptation of opening purse strings and spending, you know. They've just steered clear of any kind of fiscal stimulus, even though um, growth was recovering. Uh, the, the single focus was essentially control inflation and fiscal deficit. Inflation has been brought to about 5% from about close to double digits two years back. The other thing, the second part of, to this entire uh, development is that Prime Minister Modi has opened bank accounts for the poor. Um, remember, a lot of people in India 
are living in the villages. They are, you know, outside of the formal um, uh, banking system. So he's brought them in. One, he's brought them in to um, to give them better access to financial products, and also it helps him transfer subsidy payments directly into their bank accounts, thereby. Uh, plugging leakages, uh, cutting out middlemen, uh, bringing down corruption. So that's been, that's been the second big area where things have uh, been done and things have gone right for Prime Minister Modi. The third is he's taken steps to attract foreign investment. He's capitalized on the positive sentiment ever since he took office. After that win, the global financial investors were really uh, looking forward to Prime Minister Modi uh, getting power. And he's capitalized on it. He's opened certain sectors. He's opened foreign direct investment for defense manufacturing. He's increased the limit or raised the cap on foreign investment in insurance. So on the financial sector side also, he's taken a couple of measures. So that's the reason why all of this has come together and yielded the kind of results uh, at a time when most of India's peers in the emerging economies bracket have actually fallen off the radar. You know, Aki, Tori isn't here today, but she would have loved this conversation. Heck, she may even end up working in India. <laughs> well, I think she would like it a lot. Um, as our listeners know, I'm doing a three-month temporary transfer to Tokyo right now, and I'm really loving every single minute of it. So I bet she'd love India too. Uni. We can't thank you enough for your insight. It's great to get the flavor on the ground. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Aki. And thanks to all of you for listening to Bloomberg Benchmark. We're going to be back again next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and on Bloomberg.com, as well as on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, and Google Play. And while you're there, please take a minute to rate and review the show so more people can find us. And let us know what you thought of the show. Uni, our colleague in India, has a Twitter handle at Unique. That's pretty unique. I'm at Daniel Moss DC. Aki is at Aki Edo 7. And let's not forget, bound for India soon, at Tori Stilwell. See you next week. This episode was brought to you by Nadex. You know, any long-term investment is going to go through short-term dips and price fluctuations. Nadex Binary Options let you turn those short-term movements into trading opportunities. You decide your maximum profit and loss before each trade, so your risk is always limited. Trade stock indices, commodities, forex, even Bitcoin in economic numbers, all from one account on a CFTC-regulated U.S. exchange. Instead of just watching the market's ups and downs, turn them into trading opportunities at nadex.com. It's the future of trading, N-A-D-E-X dot com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. We at Bloomberg are proud of our new and growing slate of original content podcasts. They include Benchmark, a jargon-free dive into the stories that drive the global economy. It's hosted by Tori Stilwell, Aki Ito, and Dan Moss. Odd Lots, hosted by Joe Weisenthal and Tracy Alloway, takes you on a not-so-random walk through hot topics in markets, finance, and economics. And each week, Bloomberg M&A reporter Alex Sherman discusses market-moving news about mergers in Deal of the Week. From Washington and points in between, meantime, we showcase the intersection of politics and pop culture with Culture Caucus, hosted by John Heilman and Will Leach from Bloomberg Politics. And then there's Masters in Politics, hosted by veteran TV producers Tammy Haddad and Betsy Fisher-Martin. This bi-weekly podcast features extended conversations with candidates, campaign strategists, and journalists. You can find all these podcasts on the Bloomberg Terminal, 
Bloomberg.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, and any one of your very favorite podcast platforms. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.